0: Good morning. It is my joy and privilege to welcome you all to this first Sunday of Summer Sabbath. Um, Generally, during Summer Sabbath, we as a church get to be together. Instead of in three services, we're together in one, which is a wonderful opportunity to see people we know are a part of our church, but we... Don't run into each other that often because we have three services, so now we get to be together. We also welcome many people who are visiting the area, perhaps friends and relatives or here for the summer, and we want to welcome all of you to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. Will you please stand and join me for the call to worship? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body,
1: let
0: let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Yes
2: promise of God that uh, he is the foundation on which our faith is laid is firm and true and trustworthy. It is so great to see you as we gather for worship today. Uh, Before you're seated, take a few moments, uh, maybe a little bit of extended time and greet those around you, introduce yourself. Uh, Well, wish Happy Father's Day to those who may be appropriate. We want to uh, wish Happy Father's Day to those of you who, to whom that's uh, appropriate. I hope you have the opportunity to spend time with family and friends. Uh, looks like we have a few more people coming in, so if you have room in your row to squeeze to the middle, that would be helpful, and then folks can fill in on the ends, and uh, they'll be able to see that. That's just will help them. Um, there are just a, a couple of things to mention to you. Uh, following the service today, as you can see, the Genesee Rapids baseball team is hosting... A brunch in the community room. There's information in the bulletin about that. And uh, also, uh, just note that we are now on summer Sabbath schedule, so uh, through the middle of August, we'll be just meeting for one worship service at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, we have been uh, thinking for the past few months about refugees. And In fact, I have a jar there that I forgot to grab with me, and we handed these out a, a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, of collecting money for refugees, a dollar a week. And uh, if, you, if you didn't get one of these and you're interested, just let me know after the service. We'll get that for you as a booklet that we're using to, um, to guide us each week, some readings and prayers and things. But uh, there are, it's a great need in the world. And uh, Dave Lewis uh, was just, has just come back a few weeks ago from leading uh, a class of college students Uh, on a trip where they dealt with refugees. And Dave's going to come and share a little bit about their trip and uh, some of their experiences.
3: The class that we had was a sports ministry class, and it consisted uh, of a number of our women soccer players. In fact, uh, 14 of the women soccer players from Houghton College went So we were going to use soccer as one of our tools for ministry, and we were headed to Romania and also to Austria. And a wide range of things that we were able to do, and and one of our primary objectives in both countries was to help the existing ministries, churches, missionaries, and parachurch ministries reach further into their communities and to help them build greater connections within their communities. So it wasn't so much about what we were going to do, although there were many things that God used us for, but how could we assist them in their ongoing work? And I want to focus on one uh, area in particular, and that was in Salzburg, Austria. I didn't know this, but over the past year, over one million refugees have passed through Salzburg, which is right on the border of Germany. And many of those refugees have stayed. Refugees from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia for the most part, and The churches in that area and some of the missionaries were talking, the world is being brought to us. How can we, how can we minister to them? And so they had a prayer meeting about two months ago now. And during this prayer meeting, one woman stood up and it was probably the person that they described to be the most unlikely to say this. But she said, as we're praying, the only thing that is coming to my mind, I keep seeing a soccer ball. And they didn't know what to do with this. And then they started to realize, well, the refugees, they all play soccer. The the men and the the boys, they they play soccer all the time. So why don't we use this as a way to connect with them? And then they found out that there is a group coming uh, from Houghton College that had a bunch of soccer players on it. And so they contacted us about a week before we left. This was not a part of our original plan to go there. But they said, can you come to Salzburg? We could use you. And so it worked out with the group that we were staying with in Vienna that they would drive us there. It was about four hours for us to get there. And they arranged for us to play a soccer match. And there are five divisions of soccer in Austria. And it was against a uh, second division team, which was a very good level of play. And they asked, can you come and play this team? And so we did. We drove out there. We spent some time Uh, At Calvary Church, the church that uh, is working with the refugees, they told us that that Sunday, 20 uh, former Muslims were baptized because they had come to know Jesus. They said they are so open to hear the gospel. And not only are they open, but many of the Austrians who have for years had basically hardened hearts that their hearts are softening to the gospel. And so we played this soccer match. And by the way, the, the ladies really played well. I was quite impressed and I'm very grateful uh, because it's difficult, you know, to take that long trip and spend all that time and then to play a game. They did a great job and it was pouring rain. And afterwards, we went into the clubhouse and we sang and we shared what we were singing about. And we shared with them, you know, we love soccer, but we love Jesus even more. And we were able to minister to them uh, and as a result of that, we had to leave and, and drive four hours back to Vienna because we had a full day of activities the next, next day. But the missionaries who stayed, so two things happened as a result of that. Number one, they had never met with this soccer club before. And now this soccer club, they met with the management and they said... You now have access to these facilities. Anytime you need to use them for your soccer ministry with the refugees, you have access to these facilities. And they are really nice facilities. And it's within walking distance of where the refugee center that they're working with, where those folks live. So it was ideal. So we were able to help them with building this connection. And the second thing is they need workers. And they said... Any of your players, if they if they want to come back three weeks, a summer, a year, whatever, we need you to come back and help us with this ministry. We need people who are experiencing connecting soccer and ministry together. And so they gave us an open invitation. And not only did the churches do this, but the soccer club also said, if any of your players come back, we would like them to play on one of our teams. And that is another way to connect in order to bring put Christian players on these teams so that they can have an influence on the teams themselves. So God blessed in marvelous ways. And I could go into so many more details. This is just a uh, an overview sketch. But uh, thank you for your prayerful support and for the support of the church financially. Uh, God blessed in so many ways. And I suspect we may go back there someday. I'm hoping at least some of our players will as individuals. So thank you.
4: I would like to invite our second graders to come on up. Our second graders are going to recite the books of the Bible for us. And as a church, we present our second graders with a gift. And they will get either a Bible, a devotional, or a prayer journal. They get to choose. Jill and Carl Schmidt are our Sunday, second grade Sunday school teachers. And they are wonderful and amazing. They do a great job. They're very enthusiastic And if the kids seem not to be paying attention or not get something, they're on the kids. And they're like, wait, we're going to do this again. Pay attention right here. They have a big, fun group of kids this year. Okay, second graders, are you ready? Do you see your moms and dads? You see everybody else smiling at you? This is your church family. They love you. We love you, and we are proud of you, and we are praying for you. And we think you are the best. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together.
5: Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord.
4: I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that He has given to us.
2: God who is trustworthy, we offer our prayers, knowing that He hears us, the answers in the way that is always best. As we spend a few moments praying together, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Father, we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are. You've not only created us, you not only sustain all that is, you not only have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, you not only have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, to encourage us and to work in our lives and in the church, but you have promised to be faithful every moment of every day in every circumstance and we come today in humble adoration and thanksgiving we worship you Father it is precisely because of who you are that we come today with confidence as we offer our prayers to you Father we pray for all today who are grieving and ask for your comforting presence upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns and we pray particularly for Blanche Weaver, Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, Doug Bogdan, Barb Rangel, Bob Joe Bear, Laurel Bucher, for Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty, for Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck. For Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Crickler. And for all others who are on our minds and our hearts today. We pray, Father, for uh, all of us who come today expressing our, uh, our need for forgiveness for whatever we may come with today, and we pray that you will give us the assurance of your forgiveness. We pray that you will set us free from the condemnation of the enemy and raise us to new life in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Father, we pray not only for for our needs, but for the needs beyond us. We think of churches that are worshiping today around us. And today we pray for the Friendship United Methodist Church and Pastor Gleason and ask for your anointing and your blessing upon this congregation that they will be united to one another and will continue to be a witness to their community and beyond. We pray for our nation. We continue to pray for healing in the midst of so much violence and pain and heartache. We think of all who are grieving from the shooting in Orlando last week. It's hard for us to comprehend this kind of violence, but we know the evil one wants to wreck lives and and to hurt. So we pray, Father, that you will bring healing and comfort and grace. And may your church be a presence of healing and grace to all who are feeling this pain most deeply and to our nation. We pray, Father, for all who are still grieving from the shooting in Charleston a year ago. We pray, Father, that that you will continue to bring unity out of division and healing out of the racial tensions of our nation and our world. Father, we pray that you will work in our hearts so that we might be agents of healing and unity and peace. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We pray, Father, for the things that are happening here around us with foster care, this great need of children being placed in homes, that they will be loved and cared for. And we pray that you will continue to work miraculously in this need. And as we think about the wider church, the church around the world, we cannot help but think about our brothers and sisters who face opposition and persecution. We pray especially for Ali, this new convert in Myanmar. We pray, Father, that you will you will bring to him the necessary transportation he needs to support his family and the encouragement he needs. And for others who are in similar situations, we pray for your grace upon them. Father, we pray for uh, the refugees and the church in Austria that we heard about this morning. And we ask for your grace upon them. We pray that more and more people will, will be overwhelmed by the love of Christ through the church and that we will hear more and more of the miraculous work of your Spirit. Father, we thank you for these children who stood before us this morning. We pray for your protection in their lives. And we pray that learning the names of the books of the Bible will just lead them to a deeper love and yearning for your Word, for your church, for you. Father, this morning we pray for Our earthly fathers, and we give you thanks for the gift of family. We know that our fathers are not perfect. None of us are. For some, this has been, perhaps continues to be, a source of pain and struggle. For others, the word Father brings images of love and joy and security. In either case, we pray that you will fill us with a sense of your presence in our families. And help us more than anything else to see you more and more clearly, our loving Heavenly Father. And for those of us who are fathers, help us to live so close to you that we continue to reveal you to our children in every way that we possibly can. Father, we offer our prayer in the name of, through the power of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. and the power and the glory forever amen
0: our new testament scripture reading is from second timothy 1 3 through 14 And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching— With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord.
6: A pastor shouldn't say this, but we've had church. <laughs> a preacher shouldn't say this, I should say, because I still want to keep you here for a little while. But uh, just want to thank Amanda for arranging that hymn. Uh, for I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed. That was probably a premier performance here just now of that uh, arrangement. And it goes well with our text. And just the children and Dave Lewis' is sharing, everything, the scriptures. So if, if I drop dead, you've had church, just so you know. <laughs> I'm preaching from my dad, my father's Bible. It's a little bit worn and quite bulky. But what a privilege to preach from his Bible. On Father's Day. So, happy Father's Day, and we have so many tremendous, amazing fathers. I've greeted a few of you just earlier in the service. Uh, It's a privilege to be in this community and, and to know so many of you. Some of you scraping paint yesterday, the day before Father's Day, as an act of love. It's just a great town to be part of. One thing I recall about my dad was that uh, while he was the assistant pastor at Houghton Church in the 1950s, yes, I'm that old, um, he was a a fireman also. In fact, uh, we lived on the second floor of the China Star Restaurant, if you can imagine it. And below us on the first floor was the Houghton Hook and Ladder Fire Truck, an open cab fire truck, which somebody saw it in half and uses as a bar somewhere up in Buffalo today. But... um, Yeah, but um, it was amazing when that fire truck started up in the night and the diesel fumes came up to our bedrooms. There are a lot of stories we could tell. So someone nearby a few years ago must have hollered, the church is on fire, and called 911. Because I recall straddling the peak of a roof of a church nearby awaiting orders from Captain Norm to ventilate the roof, which we didn't have to do. Actually, the fire was put out pretty quickly. So that's my only successful case of putting the church fire out. (laughs) And by the way, three cheers to our first responders in this community and uh, surrounding communities. Today, however, we need to talk about A church that is on fire, that stays on fire, a fire that we don't want to extinguish. Our message is from 2 Timothy 1 and 2, a long passage you've heard read. But you might want to keep a Bible in the pew or your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 2 because we're going to be just referring to a lot of those verses. And the particular verse we start with, of course, is the one on the screen I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline or sound mind. The church on fire. Hmm. There are various translations to verse 6 says some of them fan into flame or rekindle or keep ablaze or stir up the fire, the gift of God which is in you. This is the only place in the New Testament that particular word explicitly is used. I love the quote from the old founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth. The tendency of a fire is to go out. Watch the fire in your heart. And we need collectively to watch the fire of the church as well. These chapters in Paul's second letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, focus on the gospel, the good news, or sometimes referred to as the faith, or a deposit, or a treasure. There's a lot of words used in this chapter that I think basically refer to the gospel. We'll look more closely at what that gospel is from later verses in a few moments. About this fire, this church on fire, I don't think that Paul is saying Timothy's fire has gone out. Almost 20 years before writing this, his last letter, Paul and Silas met Timothy in Lystra on the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, and invited him to join the traveling band in Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia Minor. And he has good things to say about Timothy. Here and in other places, for example, in Philippians, he says, I have no one else like Timothy. He takes a genuine interest in your welfare and served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy was young. And from 1 Timothy, we get the hint that maybe he was sickly. And uh, he probably was timid, timid Timothy shy and neither am I saying that our church isn't on fire or a fire is going out, but we do need to tend it to make sure it is burning hot. By the way a question can we apply what Paul says to Timothy to us today after all it's a letter to a written to a specific guy it refers to his specific ordination and specific gifts of pastor teacher. So maybe we should throw it all out and not apply it to us, or maybe not. (laughs) For example, take Christ's great command. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I think Paul applies that to Timothy as well, who wasn't an apostle. Timothy wasn't an apostle, but he's telling Timothy to be a discipler. Jesus makes it clear in Acts chapter 1 that when the Spirit comes on us, we are to be his witnesses. He said that to his disciples, but we take that for all of us. And so I want to say that the principles we see here in Timothy chapter 1 and 2, 2 Timothy 1 and 2, are principles that apply to us as well, or we ought to try to apply them. So let's go to this chapter. Paul first reminds Timothy that we get the faith from God and from others. The good news, the gospel, the faith, comes to us by grace. It's God's doing. It's a gift. But he has messengers along the way that are essential too. Do you remember those who shared the faith with you, who modeled the faith for you, who nurtured you in the faith? These are the best first responders, the most important people in your life. Paul several times refers to Timothy's family faith roots, chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He was taught the scriptures from infancy. What an endorsement of Sunday school classes, children's and youth ministries, even demonstrated on the front row here this morning, the kids learning the the books of the Bible, how important this is. So Timothy received the foundation of his faith, the good news in his home. It is so important for us today, on Father's Day. Grandparents, parents, even aunts and uncles, or adopted ones, must not shirk our blessed responsibility to plant the seeds of faith and affirm our commitment to the trustworthiness of the scriptures. There's no room for timidity or excuses. Stir up that fire at home. Then Paul himself was a father in the faith for Timothy. Timothy, he says, my beloved child in the Lord. Several times in these two chapters he says, the good news is what you heard from me. Listen to Paul in chapter 3. Continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God will be fully equipped for every good work, the importance. I owe my own faith to the witness and faithful demonstration of Christ Jesus through my parents. I remember daily family prayers. I remember their acknowledgement of dependence on God and for his guidance in our home. I remember my parents' unique, loving and vibrant marriage I remember constant love, discipline, forgiveness, fun, and especially hands-on compassion for others from all walks of life, upward-bound and downward-bound people. I remember the invitation to join in the church and help with cleaning, singing. It was a small church. Serving the church alongside my parents. We did it all. The fire was lit in our home. Never underestimate the importance of your Christian home. But I also have to mention quickly a host of other folks that used their gifts to build up my faith, the the Pauls in my life. Someone as I was a child right here in this church, like I said, in the 1940s, yeah, 40s and 50s, Hudson Hess and Harold Kingdon taught a little Sunday school class of wiggling boys in the entry room to the prayer chapel now down on the basement floor of our church. I remember them teaching me. They were college students at the time. I remember community members standing and giving testimonies in service, people like Paul Mills' father, Pop Mills, and his mother who waved a hanky when she gave her testimonies they demonstrated God's help in the realities and the ups and downs and the honest things that happen in families in life. I remember Reverend Milton Putnam, the pastor of a little country church in Higgins, and my own father, starting a summer's boys' camping program in the big town of Canadia, up the creek and up into the hills. We had tents, we went hiking, we went swimming, we had basic astronomy, woodsmanship, good food, and talks about Christian boyhood and manhood. I remember a dedicated school administrator in Allentown, New York, who came to our church in Wellsville, Lillian Simons, who gave much of her spare time to my youth group and to the church, feeding my mind with the word of God. I remember during college, as I was a student here, a piano professor, Dr. Nolan Heisinger. Leading weekly a large Sunday school class of college students in the exposition of whole books of the Bible, kind of like Paul Young does. I remember a young math professor, Bill Rotsky, coaching our championship class, bas- I had to say that, championship <laughs> class basketball team with gentleness and fun. I remember the quiet scholarship and the life example of Dr. Warren Woolsey And the mentoring continues even through my adult life. People on the mission field that came alongside. And up to today, men who meet with me for prayer. These are important, important times and and people in our lives. I've taken a long time to do this, and I've talked about me. Can you think about you? And are you attached in mentoring or discipling and being discipled? By the way, in my research, for my uh, graduate degree, I interviewed 170 Houghton professors, uh, excuse me, Houghton alumni who uh, were missionaries now over several decades. And of those 170, there were 80 different people in Houghton who were the key person in them becoming a missionary. Figure that out. So you don't have to be number one, dean of the college or president of the college or pastor at the church. You might be the coach or the janitor. I have the list. In case it hasn't sunk in, this is a message about discipling others. The D word, I'll call it, discipleship. It's about the mission God has given each of us to receive the faith and share the faith. Think of the ways you got the gospel or it got a hold of you. You saw it demonstrated in others. And do you see yourself and the use of your gifts in other people's stories? Thank God for our children and youth workers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, prayer warriors, hospitality providers, school teachers, dorm parents. I know maybe some of you are here from PFO. The Christian influence of these people on our lives. And I have to tell a little story just about a couple weeks ago. I'm preaching as a, an assistant pastor. It kind of makes me nervous. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, the, the Blakes were here with that amazing vigil for waiting for Crystal to go to heaven. And they had come ahead, but their teenage son in high school had stayed behind in Czech Republic, where he goes to high school in, in the Czech language. But he flew in late, and he got here, and I think almost the day he arrived, he went to a Rapids baseball game. And uh, Joshua got a foul ball, caught it, and then we all told him the rule of the game is you hand it in for a 25-cent piece of candy. And he did, but I could see the disappointment on his face. He had his glove and everything. He plays baseball in the on a check on a t- town team. And I just caught that in my eye, and I went up and sat next to him, and I had a few minutes to chat to, to Joshua, who was here for the week, or how long ever it took for his mother to go to heaven. He's 15 years old. So I just talked to him about his high school and his baseball, and he was so pleasant. So during that week, we had a chance to, of course, minister him. And there were so many here in our church who ministered to their family through food and other ways. The, the Szymanski Children's Library just was full of the kids all, all week long. It was a wonderful ministry. But I asked Ralph, I said, Ralph, would you mind having the team sign a baseball for, for Joshua? You know, it was a rough week for this kid. And so on the night they lost, you know, and it was a lousy game. I remember, I think it was uh, Hornell, and we had the lead till about the eighth inning, and then the other team scored more runs, and we lost. And, but the team came up, and coach manager handed me a baseball sign by the team, the Rapids. And I gave it to Joshua the next day, and his face lit up. Now, I know he wrote a card to the team, and I don't know what he said. But in those few minutes that I had with Joshua, I get a card from him. Thank you so much for being so kind to me and my family. I'm so glad I met you. You are an inspiration to me. Blah, blah, blah. I won't read the rest. A 15-year-old boy and a little baseball that's worth, I don't know, Ralph, eight bucks or something. And for the rest of his life, he'll remember the week his mother passed away that some people paid attention to him. That's what I'm talking about, mentoring, role modeling, finding a person that you can pour your life into. This is the church on fire, using your gifts to nurture the young and the old in the faith. I want to stir up a desire in our hearts to demonstrate the faith and share it with others. That's how they get the faith. And once the gospel is received, we are to guard the faith with the Holy Spirit's help. I know you think I have cotton mouth. I do. It's going to go better now. Guard the faith with the Holy Spirit's help. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So if you had $1,000 and it was put in the bank, you hope they have the FDIC or somebody guarding that investment. We know how to protect valuable things. How do we protect the faith? And by the way, what is this treasure, the faith, the gospel? I promised you I'd talk about it. It's in this passage. This faith that we're not to be ashamed of and we're to guard. Paul makes it clear in verses 8 through 14. What is the gospel? It's the saving gospel. It's a matter of life and death for us. It leads to a holy life. It's more than just getting saved. It's living the life. That's why we need discipleship. Keep growing. It's not gained by our efforts, but it's by God's grace in Christ Jesus. And what good news it is. As we were singing one of the hymns earlier, I just thought... Hit the nail on the head. Christ destroys death and brings life. Life and immortality to life. I mean, this is the whole real package. And Paul's not ashamed of this gospel. And it's summed up in chapter 2, verse 8, which we didn't read, but it's about Jesus the Messiah being raised from the dead. That's the good news. That's the faith. That's the gospel. And how is this treasure kept and guarded and secured? Well, it's both divine and human. That is to say, God takes care of his gospel. The Holy Spirit protects God's truth. It stands the test of time and the trials of centuries. It's been scoffed at and mocked and derided and discarded, but it's never been destroyed. He guards it. He guards our faith. It gets shaky sometimes. There are sometimes doubts. There are sometimes trials. Paul's saying he's suffering. He's in prison. Well, who's going to protect it? I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. till he comes. God protects. It. God guards. But he says we're to guard it too. I think of uh, Martin Luther when he was asked to recant his, his uh, belief. It's by faith you are saved, not by works. And he was asked to recant, and he says, I won't. Here I stand. I can do none else. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so Luther writes, that word above all earthly powers No thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Some people have guarded the faith and thank God for his guarding their faith. I think sometimes we're ashamed, we're tempted to be ashamed or squirm about the essential truths of the gospel. And it seems to be magnified a little bit our today with what we read about the generations walking away from the faith or maybe picking up kind of a syncretistic, quasi-spiritual faith and you ask them what they believe and you don't see the, the resurrection faith of Christ. Some recent Pew research confirms that the church in the USA is losing many. In the last five years, Americans with no religious affiliation has increased from 15% to 20%. One in five now in our country are what they call nuns. They have no religious beliefs or faith. And I could say more about that. But we have our work cut out for us in this community, especially our immediate mission field. Now, I'm a missionary, and I teach missions over there. But we have a mission field right here. It's us. We're an academic community filled with young people, that next generation that are struggling with the faith. Who's going to show them? Who's going to guard? Who's going to demonstrate the faith? So we must not hide the gospel or apologize for it or add to it or subtract from it. Around our young people and each other, we must not be ashamed or neutral about the gospel. We can have bold discussions, wrestle with issues of the day, listen to all ideas, be gracious, but not punt when it comes to the convictions of the Word. We should be vulnerable and honest and not claim to have all the answers, but on the essentials, stand firm, even suffer ridicule, for we know whom we have believed. And our job personally is to guard our convictions, to keep growing. You don't do that by... Depending on 1950's Sunday school class, you do it by staying in the Word and discipling with others. There's more to learn. We need to go deeper. Work on the fire of your own beliefs, your convictions. The church, its convictions, this church, its convictions, its history, is needed in this community and with our mission field. Don't hide our light under a bushel. Let's keep growing the faith and stirring the coals of our convictions. And if that is so, then we will and must give or pass on the gospel with the gifts that God has given us. It says on the chapter 2, be st- or chapter 1, be strong in the grace, or excuse me, it is chapter 2. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say entrust to reliable people. Join me in suffering like a good soldier. I'm going to be real honest. This message emerged as this month I pick up an unanticipated role of leading adult discipleship and college ministries at Houghton Wesleyan Church. I wasn't planning on this, I was going to be a bus driver the rest of my life. Nobody laughed. I said, Wes, you have to be crazy. I don't know their movies, I don't know their language, I don't know their music, I don't know their jokes, I don't know technology, as you can probably tell. And he said, that's fine, you care about people. And that's the vision of this message. That's the fire I want this church to demonstrate for one another. It not be about our whistles and our bells, the latest thing we can do, glitz and glamour, or Paul Shea wearing tight jeans and whatever. The the scripture says it's not by might nor by power. Okay, I'll let you laugh at that one. (laughs) I'm sorry, Andrea. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I believe we're going to have to get on our knees as a church and pray for the Holy Spirit to open our doors and our arms and our hugs and our hospitality and our interest in our mission field here. And that includes our love for each other like was demonstrated yesterday at the house next door. But we need small groups. We need Sunday school classes. We need prayer groups. We need warm hospitality. We need to serve together. We need to invite people into this church and into our lives. So we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. Paul talks a lot about suffering in these chapters. And what's the point of that? If we're going to be cool guys that can disciple others, then we want to be perfect and we want to have all the answers. And we want to be young and handsome again except he's suffering for the gospel he's in prison with the gospel some of you will be grieving some of you will have hardships you will lose a job but you can still minister to others that's where the reality and the genuineness of it comes those very struggles might be the tool through which God instructs others and makes the gospel more believable Paul nails it. We have no excuse. We can't be too young or too old or too shy or too weak or too dumb or too close. You know, the church in our proximity to Houghton College, we're too close or too imperfect. God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. One of my first mentors in the pastoral ministry back again in the Dark Ages Preached it, I think it was my oldest daughter's uh, dedication day. He said, with the spirit of God in our hearts, we have power so that we don't give up. Love so that we don't blow up. And a sound mind so that we don't crack up. I may crack up this year trying to be your assistant pastor. Not, Not with God's help. Each one of us should entrust the treasure of our life in Christ with others. Help them grow. Mentor them. Be accountable. Have small groups. I said it a thousand times already here. Hospitality, prayer, welcoming. Share our lives with each other, and especially with the young in our community. Can you make that a goal in the year and the months ahead? And then finally, it just struck me as I was studying this passage, and I don't know about the Greek grammar and all. Sorry, Terry, but it's something I still got to go back and brush up on. But this is a treasure that. You notice how many times he uses entrusted, entrusted to us? There's a fascinating relationship, a fascinating relationship between the gospel, that is the faith, the treasure, God, us, and others. You see these verses together. The faith, the gospel, has been entrusted to us. We entrust the whole kit and caboodle to him, and he guards it. But then we're to entrust it to others who will be able to pass it on to others. And when you hear the testimonies of Houghton alumni, recently the class of, uh, what, 41-year class, or 40, I don't know what it was. It was Dick Holberg's class. He's old, too. (laughs) The influence of this little community and this church on people's lives Let's keep it up. So we cheer for athletes who are on fire, hitting or pitching or scoring the lights out. We admire Christians who are on fire. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to make us a church on fire. Let's set the church ablaze with a passion for the gospel, loving, caring, modeling for each other and with each other, And a fire that lasts until the day he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God and for the clarity of that word. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that's come to us. Thank you for the many who've modeled and brought it to us, including our parents, our pastors our youth workers and Sunday school teachers. Thank you for those who shared it and for those who mentor us still. And Lord, make us a church who will march into this world and march out into our community and live up the hill and march up the hill, the academy, the college, Fillmore and other schools in the area as Christian lights and testimonies. And for those here who are from other parts of the going to serve in other parts of the world or go back home to other places as team members and school teachers and dorm parents and those of us who are grandparents and parents lord may we light and kindle the fire of the good news in jesus name amen
4: Please stand and join us as we sing.
1: Oh, church.
6: Fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. And the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you all.